Great. Hi, I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars during the pandemic to uh, visit with friends, learn something, and have a good time. Um, I heard about Rebecca through Facebook. I think somebody actually recommended that you uh, come on as a guest. I can't even remember now, but I yeah. stalked her through Facebook a little bit and found out what she was up to, <laughs> and I just thought it was such an important topic. It's something you never want to need, but if you do, it's really important to know what to do. Um, so Rebecca is going to talk to us about technical large animal rescue. So I got that right? You got it. Okay, awesome. I'm going to let her introduce herself because always my guests can do a better job than I can. So welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So we've been working on technical large animal emergency rescue for about 25 years. I got started with this with my husband. Um, back in uh, the mid-90s, and we started looking around saying, hey, surely somebody is doing this, uh, veterinarians, firefighters, etc. And there was little pockets of people that were doing things, but nobody really put it together. So that was sort of what we got together and started doing. We worked together for many years, even for five years as a divorce couple. You know, uh, you know how divorces are. interested in horses long before you got into rescue. Uh, that's right, exactly. So um, now we've got a program. I go, actually, I'm lucky enough to go all over the world except for COVID. So I haven't been anywhere today, this year. But um, we try to get this information out, particularly to those kind of folks that actually get a 911 call, the, the emergency responders, the, not, the veterinarians that they call. But I love it that you're putting this together because it's important for the actual horse people to get an idea of what large animal rescue is why they might need to find those resources in their communities. Uh, you guys are lucky up in Virginia. If you live in Virginia, you guys have got Little Fork and they're really famous. And yeah, and um, Melinda Fredrickson is one of my students. Yes, <laughs> and they have been, I mean, they are Katie bar the door, they're doing things all the time and really involved folks. But then again, it takes, you know, a firefighter that also has horses or is interested in horses to realize that this is really a thing for a lot so, of firefighters. So just give us a little bit of, of, you know, I'm always curious of how people wind up where they are, you know? So, so were you involved with horses as a kid? Did you ride as a kid? Yep. I did all those things, did all the wrong things and uh, loved them and didn't know jack crap about them. So finally uh, I went to uh, one of those things that they, back in the old days when we didn't have Google and you, went to the 4-H or the extension service and you watched a satellite downlink. There was a class on equine science and I signed up for it, it was like 25 bucks and they sent you a little you know, extension book. And I read through the book and I was like, I've had horses for 25 years all my life and I don't know nothing about what they're talking about here. So I decided I was gonna go back to graduate school and I went to Clemson, got a degree from Clemson in a grad degree. And that's when I met Tomas and we started doing all these kinds of things. I was also in the military for 28 years uh, as a reservist. So brought a lot of those kinds of perception of how to run a scene, how to manage people, how to approach things in a safer manner, um, which jives with the fire service. And then of course, at some point when I moved to Georgia, I had a chief who I was going to do the class with them. And he said, well, why aren't you part of my fire department? I was like, because I'm over 45 and I'm crippled and old. And he said, that doesn't matter. You don't, and we don't care about that. You're a volunteer. So I joined the fire service too. So, and then when I met my current husband, uh, he started coming to fire department stuff with me and now he's a firefighter and, you know, we do these things together. So um, it's just one of those crazy kind of things that had a lot of 
uh, interest in lots of different things that sort of we pulled together over the years to make a program. So it's, here we are. It's so cool. And it's so cool. You know, that's like you follow your passion, but you, you combine all these skills that you have. I, I have to tell everybody, this was the most organized guest I've ever had. She sent me your bio in three short, medium and long form. Um, <laughs> And I was like, oh, this is going to be a great webinar because this military this officer, you can't help it. That's just what you have to do. It's yeah, like, no, it's fabulous. Sometimes I'm like, me, there's challenges to that too. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just really excited about this because like I said, it's not so, it's like insurance. It's something you never really want to need, but when you do need it, you want it there and you want to know what to do. And I think that that's so important to, to uh, be prepared. Yep, it so, is. Are we ready? I think so. Do you want to give me control so that did I, I can not? I thought I made you co-host. I did make you co-host. Okay, there we go. Yep. All right. Can you guys see my screen? Can you see my screen? Not yet. Did you hit hmm. share screen? Uh, hang on. I probably didn't because I didn't. There we go. All right. There we go. Sorry, guys. That's okay. No not having my glasses on that is a big <laughs> thing you should be able to see it now yep okay so we're going to do a little quick overview i've only got an hour i'm going to get you guys interested in large animal rescue and uh, i sent wendy a whole bunch of information that i call homework for what horse people could do to make their horses safe i mean that's why you guys are here i'm sure um everybody that's here has questions about how they want to keep their horse safe or how they want to keep their barn safe so that's some of the things um, a lot of the reason that we do these things is looking at the human factors. Uh, to the horse, he's in the hole. There's nothing he can do about it. And I promise you, if he could have done something about it, he'd be out of there by now. Because the last thing a horse wants is for a bunch of us to show up and start screaming and yelling and running around and doing stuff and poking at him. He wants to be out of there. So it really doesn't come down, you know, people say, oh, horse behavior. And that is important, but it's human behavior and how we handle ourselves on these scenes to make it. it um, actually work. Uh, I'm going to try to give you guys some evidence-based information on how we do these kind of things. Sadly, there's not a lot of research that's gone into large animal rescue, but I've been doing this for a long time, collecting a lot of anecdotal pictures, videos, and uh, reports of these kinds of things, and talking to a lot of veterinarians and firefighters. And we know what works and what doesn't work. Uh, animal behavior, obviously, we talk about horses here, but animal behavior, large animals, uh, we, we do work with Elephants, we do work with large animals that are a lot larger than horses. Um, and then welfare. Uh, welfare really comes down to, are we making the right decision for a horse? And that, that's a difficult thing. We actually, I just got off of a call with a vet this afternoon. I thought I was gonna end up having to go to that call uh, for a large draft horse that was um, down and uh, unfortunately it ended up expiring. So the question is, when should we have euthanized it? You know, which should we should should we have euthanized it before? Uh, tomorrow, yesterday, two months ago. What do we need to do for their welfare? And then thinking about people's welfare too, because I promise you, when a barn burns to the ground, there's a lot of people that are very upset and have lots of things to deal with, PTSD wise and things like that. Uh, we do a lot of risk evaluation. We encourage a lot of risk evaluation. That's what I'm going to ask you guys to do: is look look around your place with new eyes. And then we're going to talk a little bit about some of the best practices. I don't have, I could talk for months uh, about these kind of things. I've only got an hour, so I'm going to try to make it quick. This is Dr. Tomasi Menes, my ex-husband, and he said this many, many years ago, and nothing has changed. 
uh, it doesn't matter how much you love your horse. It doesn't matter um, how uh, other things are done. What matters is when you show up on that scene that you can get a hold of yourself, not panic, make good decisions, try to build a team. Because if everybody is trying to be the boss and everybody's yelling and screaming, you won't get anything done. And I promise you, the horse is going to suffer because of it. So it's really not the extrication and the tools and all the cool guy stuff you got. It's how you work together. And I think there's a lot of <laughs> that in human relationships anyway. So, so what we really want to try to do is we want to make these things simple. And I love this picture. I've been using this for about three or four years since I got it. Um, if you guys put in a water line in your pasture, don't put the horses in the pasture. I, I, you know, you got cats, right, Wendy? Yeah. They say cats are curiosity killed the cat. They don't know horses. Horses are dumb about these things. They see a hole, they're like, oh, and then one of their friends comes along and goes, boop, and knocks them right in it. And then another one says, well, I need to be with my friend and goes down in there. I mean, come on. But that's what horses do. So this one's a great one because they actually had the equipment already on scene. They had been using it the day before. They caught the horses. They made a ramp. They led the horses out. No harm, no foul. And it was nice and simple. But those are the kinds of things that we try to do is try to keep it simple because this ain't simple. And this is what a lot of people think that we do. And we've done numerous demonstrations of this. There have been some helicopter rescues of horses and it's, it's all cool guy stuff. But I'm telling you, it takes a lot of money, it's about eight grand an hour. It requires a lot of people that have an idea what they're doing, preferably that have done training before. Just putting on an Anderson sling is difficult. Uh, coordinating two veterinarians. Does anybody have any problem getting one veterinarian to show up to something? So getting two veterinarians to show up at the same time so you can sedate the horse, put it in the sling, lift it out, and then it's supposed to meet the other veterinarian at the drop point and all those things, it's really difficult. One of my girlfriends out in Oregon, this is her horse, Huckleberry, she did this two years ago. In the end, they ended up euthanizing this horse, but they tried really hard, and I mean, what an awesome effort. But she looks back and she says, you know, I spent $8,000, I had to put it on my credit card, I didn't have the money for it, but I didn't want my horse, you know, I'm the one that rode my horse into the woods, I'm the one that was on the horse when he slid down. And I just felt so guilty about the whole thing. Mm. So can it be done? Yes. But we try not to make it as difficult as this. Um, the reason for those kinds of things is anything that makes it more difficult comes down to liability and money and coordination and training and the right equipment. And I have Wait seen- Wait a second. Is that her horse in the tree? That's him. He's going up on a hundred foot cable. I'm glad you spotted it. So a lot of people have never seen the horse in, the, in that video. It's, it's really, really dangerous. And the thing that people have to understand is if there's any problem, if the horse does anything, if he's not sufficiently sedated, they're going to drop it. And that's just the safety of the couple guys that are on that helicopter. It's not worth a horse's life. So, right. so he's actually been, he's not, he didn't get stuck in the top of the tree. He's being no, elevated above he's the being tree. Elevated past it. Yeah. So it comes down to making early decisions. And that's what I ask people to do make an early decision. Part of having a disaster plan is you guys looking in your lives and saying, if I had to, if something went wrong today for my horse, do I have the money to get him surgically fixed or whatever? Um, who am I gonna call that has a backhoe? Who's the veterinarian that's gonna show up to euthanize my horse? You'd be amazed how many people do not have those simple three things. Anyway, so 
We in Large Animal Rescue, we have these mannequins. Uh, they look like real live horses. They're about 750 pounds. We put them into every god-awful situation that we can plan for or have seen in the past, and we talk about techniques and procedures and those kind of things. There's lots of that information out there on the internet, and I can, I can help you with some guidance towards those kinds of trainings if you're interested. But really, it's what's the best practice for the practice. In the old days, when Tomas and I first started and there was no mannequins, we Oops. I just heard my friend's horse died. And we'd call him up and say, oh, I'm really sorry your horse died, but could we use it to, to practice some of these things? It sounds gory, but how are she going to practice? Nothing else weighs 1,000 pounds. So these days we have the mannequins. They're great for that. And that's what we use in training. So why did we do this kind of training in the first place? Because the, most firefighters, unless you live in a really rural area and you have firefighters that own cattle or own horses or have done these things, most of them have never led a horse. They have never put a halter on a horse. Actually, Wendy, it's sort of funny. If you do a training and we always try to find the one or two guys that have never done it, we hand them a halter and we say, go catch that horse. And it'll be some 25-year-old horse that's just standing there. And they go over, God forbid they ask any questions. Yeah. And they try to figure it out, right? And it's something that our seven-year-olds can do, but you got a 40-year-old firefighter that can't. Why? Because he's never done it before. Right. And all the things that we take for granted, catching horses, leading horses, putting halters on, all those things, they don't know how to do that kind of stuff. And then they throw their arms up in the thing and they start yelling at animals. They've Ooh. seen things on TV where they put ropes around their neck. I've got probably 50 pictures of horses being pulled out by their neck. You know, that is not the way you do these things. So we try to educate these, these guys on some of the evidence-based best practices, we, what we know works, what has worked before on numerous occasions. Um, but you notice that when you do this work with fire department, you just look at that picture. There's a lot of people involved. They've got a lot of PPE and equipment and they're working together and what the plan is. That didn't happen by, by chance. That takes a lot of work and training, working together to make this kind of thing successful. They did actually get those horses out. Right. So over the years, um, we have gotten a lot of standards into the fire service as far as how to do some of these things. And uh, this is not for most people um, to, to worry about, but if you're a firefighter and you're watching this presentation, we do have information in 1670, 10006, and NFPA 150, which is the standard for life and uh, fire safety for animal housing. And that doesn't matter if it's a zoo or a horse barn. And you'd be amazed how many horse barn architects and designers and horse builders um, have no idea what NFPA 150 is. And, and I go, how could you not What does know? NFPA stand for? National Fire Protection Association. So okay. that's a huge organization. It's a global organization that tries to do best practices and standards for how you ought to be doing things as far as from building the building to how you should respond if it actually is under fire or it blows up or whatever. Are these also oh. in Europe? Is there a similar standard? Yes. Yes. Every single country has them. NFPA is global. There's a lot of countries that don't have the money to be able to do these kinds of things. But larger, uh, wealthier countries like Europe, they usually have their own standards. Okay. So let's just take you to a simple uh, relatively common. I, I don't know how these things happen, Wendy, because if it's me and my horse fell down there, he'd break every single leg and his head and everything else. But everybody else's horse falls down in there perfectly fine. Uh, why has he got his head down? Because he's eating hay. <laughs> Horses don't go, hey, I got to get to the show. Let's go. They're like, ah, there's some hay. They've obviously lowered a bucket of water in there. And he's like, I'm good. 
standing in the bottom of a hole. Now, the only difference of this horse being in the bottom of a hole um, and his stall is nothing, really, other than the owner running around go terrified <laughs> and going, oh my God, we got to do something. To me, that horse is stable. He's perfectly fine. He's eating some hay. He can drink some water. He can be there for three days. We can, we can manage him. Um, the problem is if it's got water in it or if it's a septic tank or things like that, then we've got to think about pumping it dry and coming up with a better plan. But being in a hurry rarely ever helps with these kinds of things. Because What's what the it does, pipe that's, that's running down into the hole? Um, that was somebody trying to reach down and do something with the pipe. I, I don't know what they were doing. Okay. But All you'd right. be so amazed. If you open a hole on your property, you're going to have a horse in it. <laughs> That's the way it works. That is the way it works. So, I've got zillions of pictures of horses and holes, but what I want you guys to really look at is, you know, there are, there's equipment, there's SOPs, there's, we use incident command, which is how to run a scene. You notice these guys, I'm real proud of these. These are Milton, Georgia. Uh, the city of Milton has been very proactive in large animal rescue. They have kick vests, just like we have in uh, eventing. They have their helmets. They have all the right gear. They have an animal handler that's taking care of the animal. They're putting the correct gear on to be able to do a vertical lift, which is a really difficult thing to do with a crane. But under some situations, that's all you've got the opportunity for. So what you'll notice is that looks a lot different than some of the other things that we um, often see. These What's guys the obviously- rescues from holes? Huh? What is the percentage of rescues from holes? A huge number of those. A huge number of those. Horses, you know, uh, it doesn't even have to be, this is a gory, nasty hole here. It doesn't even have to be that, Wendy. You know, if a horse has any issues with his hind end, older horses, they can lay down to roll in the pasture and get their hips in a swale and they can't get up. Oh, wow. We do lots of those. Sometimes you can help by just rolling the horse over but sometimes you actually have to get pretty innovative just to get the horse up. Um, if a horse gets his feet above his body, it's really hard for him to get out. So, okay. Crazy. So, uh, you know, look at these guys. They've obviously got a plan. They're using a chainsaw. They are actually cutting the ice blocks and making a path. And what they do is they cut those ice blocks in chunks and then they slide them under the ice to get them out of the way. And they make a path so the horses can get out. So the reason this, this is quick and simple is you don't have to catch the horse. Can you imagine trying to catch horses that are swimming and drowning? Uh, it's not gonna be easy. You're gonna waste your time and you're gonna scare the horse. So make a path, push the blocks out of the way, and then guess what? The horses come right out. And this was a beautifully done. These guys had had some training in both surface ice rescue as well as working on doing horse stuff. And they did a great job. They had an idea, they had the knowledge, they had some training on the techniques, and obviously they had the right PPE, because I promise you that is really cold. Oh yeah. Um, I do have to point out one thing. The mare is the Palomino. And you notice that even though they're drowning, she is still telling the gelding what to do. <laughs> Just one of those things. I love that picture because of it. Anyway, so, but my thing in Large Animal Rescue to you guys is, why would you have an opportunity for a horse to go in a place like that? Fence it off. How hard is that? Fence it off. Put some electric fence around it. Do something. Why is that horse even able to get on it? They are that dumb. They just don't see the hazard. And as soon as they walk out on it, they usually get to the middle of the pond, which is where the weakest ice is, and then they fall through. And the number of horses that drown this way, cattle, elk, everything else is just, it's unconscionable. So the prevention part is really important. 
So let's go something even nastier than that. Um, we talk a lot about risk assessment. I'll just use uh, septic tanks as one example. Um, septic tanks and floods. What's the difference? Is there really a difference? There's not. Everybody knows what's in a septic tank, right? Yeah. But in flood water, it's the same thing. It's just got a lot more water in it. And if you look at that picture really closely, you notice that horse's entire head are wet. He's probably got some of that crap into his mouth. The guy has got stuff into his mouth and it's all over his body. We don't want you going in those, in those floodwaters because we know what's in them. Uh, it's been documented some of the crap that ends up on people with good intentions going into these situations. So please stay out of those situations if at all possible. So, somebody's freaking out by the guy with his mouth open. <laughs> oh, I know. I, it's awful. It's absolutely awful. And, and so can we go back there for a second? Sure. Um, and talk about, you know, we've had a lot of hurricanes this year. We've had more hurricanes this year than any year ever. And, you know, what's like the one in Texas, you only hear about it in the immediate, but then you don't hear about like the long, what is the long-term effect of a horse having been in floodwaters like that? Uh, remember, I'm a PhD, not a veterinarian. So the standard answer is um, you need to talk to your veterinarian. But I will also tell you that when I talk to veterinarians, they'll tell you that if a horse has been standing in water for two or three days, he's going to have all kinds of, the simple version that they tell me is his cells in his legs normally are nice and tight. They something called tight junctions. And as the water starts to sneak in more and more and more, it opens up those connections in the skin and it allows the fungi and the bacteria and everything else to get into the skin. And once it gets into the skin, it just sets up house and says, hey, nice warm and there's plenty of food here and all kinds of disgusting nastiness. And they said over time, what it really looks like more is a burn, even though it's flood water, um, it acts more like a burn. So it's really difficult to deal with when a horse comes out of those kinds of situations. Again, it's really prevention. Take a look at the flood maps, make sure you move your horses out in time, those kind of things. But if you actually end up with a horse in those kind of things, he needs to go to veterinary care immediately because those kind of things, you're not going to hose it off and make it better. It's got to be treated um, probably with uh, prophylactic treatment by a veterinarian. And what is, like, when you look at a horse that's in standing water, I, it, it, I know that there's no rule, but is there like a rule of thumb that if that horse is in standing water for six hours, he might be okay, but if he's in there for 12 hours, he's going to be in serious trouble? Um, there's not a standing rule because it all depends on what's upstream. So if he is right downstream from a human wastewater treatment plant, he's going to have a lot more problems. If he's um, in a mountain stream, that's a whole different thing. Then you got to start worrying about cold more than you do the, the um, crud that's floating in it. Uh, the way to think about that, Wendy, is it, your neighbors, wherever you live, they always in their backyard have this little shed. And what's in the shed? I don't know because what's in your shed is probably different than mine. But most of them have some kind of poisons, fuels, uh, pesticides, herbicides, fertilizers, all that stuff. And that stuff's floating around out there with you. And so that's why it's, you know, it's not just water. It's all the other things that are in the water too. Right. Oils, uh, you know, some of those horses end up in Texas, they end up, they have lots of, of uh, oil that also gets released and they end up having all that crud and it, it's a big deal. And then they've got, um, I forget the name of that one uh, fun, uh, there's a parasite that gets in horses that have been standing, uh, 
swamp cancer. That's the, the I forget the fancy name for it, but um, it's god awful to try to treat. Okay, so you saw those guys that are dressed correctly. What do I see when I look at these kind of things? I see somebody that really wants to help, but he could have used his time and effort better. Go call the fire department, ask them to come. People say, well, my fire department doesn't do large animals. Okay, so what you do is you call the fire department and you say, hey, listen, there's a possibility of a person getting hurt. I need the fire department out here to help with traffic control. I need them to provide light because it's always dark and nasty and raining. So I need them out here to help us with that and incident command. And then we'll take care of the horse. Well, what usually happens when the fire department gets there is they go, oh, well, we could do this and we could do that and we got this and we could try that and we got a ramp and next thing you know, you got the horse out. So it never hurts to call 911 and get them there. But I really want to see people put on a helmet. It amazes me, Wendy, how many people handle horses that are afraid of needles. Um, I, I know people who have gotten severely injured by a horse rearing up and tagging them in the face. Put on a helmet. What is it about horse people that we don't want to put on a helmet? It's not, uh, it's not like you're a chicken or something. Put on a helmet. That's a quarter million dollar brain that you've got. Don't you want to preserve it? Where's his team? I don't know what he's pulling on. He's probably got it attached to the tractor. I don't know, but he needs a team. He needs other people because all that horse has to do is whack his head back and forth and he's going to clock that guy and knock him into the mud. And then we got to worry about a human being rescued instead of just the horse. So those are the kinds of things that we teach firefighters to look at is come up with a better plan. We talk a lot about opposition reflex and why you shouldn't be pulling on the head um, and where to stand and where to be and how to work together as a team. The other thing that we try to do is we try to tell people, you know, this guy, again, he's got the best intentions in mind. He actually has his PPE on. But, Wendy, how much does a horse's head and neck weigh, you think? Uh, 100 pounds on a 1,000-pound horse. A head is 40 pounds and the neck is 60. There you go. So, you know, how are you going to – and it's powerful. So if that horse starts wiggling around in that trailer, that is a trailer that they're cutting apart from a trailer wreck. If that horse wiggles around, slams his head, which we all know they can, he's gonna crush that guy. And that's why in the fire service, the military, and all these other things, we, and of course veterinarians, they've all got their stories of the kinetic injuries where they got kicked or, or tagged, and then the ergonomic injuries. You know, I don't know about you, Wendy, but I'm over 50. So when I get down on my knees, I don't get back up off my knees as quick. Um, I have all these things where I go in the morning, oh, my shoulder, what happened? Oh yeah, that's when I did, you know, those things add up over your life. So we're trying to minimize those kinds of injuries that happen to people. So uh, remember I'm a PhD, not a veterinarian. You need to have a veterinarian involved. When we started doing this, Tomas, my husband at the time was a veterinarian and he was always beating up on the veterinarians to say, hey, you guys need to get involved in this kind of thing. Because obviously this is a fire department um, they managed to get the horses out of the mud, crud, whatever they were in. And then what? The horse can't get up. He's cold. He's wet. He needs a veterinarian there to be able to treat him, help him get warm. Um, obviously, hypothermia and those kind of things take some extreme warming to try to, to get those animals so that they can stand up and walk. you got to have a veterinarian involved. Here's another one. Uh, just a really good example. This is one of my peeps out in Nevada, uh, Willis Lamb, and he's got a huge team out there in his state and they deal with these feral horses well they go into all the kinds of things that you would expect uh this young mustang stallion went into a cattle grate so they had to have a veterinarian then they could anesthetize him once he's anesthetized it takes all the the safety considerations are considerably less 
then they can rotate the horse with using a sideways drag. They can drag him onto that black piece of plastic that's called a rescue glide. They can pick the legs out very carefully from the grate, slide the animal on the rescue glide to a safer area and either to transport or in his case, they were actually able to release him. He had minor injuries. But, you know, man, working with feral horses is a whole nother game. Um, sort of like working with Arabians. No, just kidding. I used to have an Arabian and he was smarter than I was. So anyway, so, so that's I, the problem. I would assume that in, in just about every rescue, you want that horse to have some sort of tranquilizer so that it, you're safe. I mean, I some kind of, and the thing is many times they get internal injuries that we can't see as horse people. And then it'll show up a couple of days later. The best example is people get them out of a barn fire, but they don't get them to a vet. If there's even a little bit of smoke that those animals have inhaled, um, you want to make sure that the veterinarian treats them. And that's really what's going on with the wildfires. You know, you look at those horses that are out there in those areas. I, I'm assuming you've seen some of the videos of some of the wildfire areas. You can't even see through that stuff. It's so acrid and nasty. And people are walking around with masks on their faces, but the horses don't have masks. Right. And over time, those things cause damage to those horses' lungs. And if, particularly if you have a performance horse, how much of a performance horse is he going to be after a couple of months exposed to that kind of stuff? Yeah, because I was in Australia last year, Australia and New Zealand. And when I was leaving New Zealand, the smoke from Australia was affecting the airport. Um, and so I have a lot of friends in us. Now they're dealing with flooding. Okay. It completely yeah. flipped, but they were in drought. It's like California. Australia yeah. is the state of, of country of disaster. California is the, the state of disaster. Yeah. And so, you know, I, th that was the first thing I thought of in, in California after being in Australia is, and is there, is there any kind of guideline? Like, obviously you don't want to work a horse when he's been exposed to that kind of smoke for, is there a period of time that he should not be worked so that you're not stressing those lungs? Uh, what I have seen from some of the veterinary literature that's been being put out, and of course, there, there's some people that are doing some research on that right now because so many horses have been exposed to that. But generally, um, they're saying, you know, that horse needs to not be worked for a significant amount of time, a couple of weeks to a couple of months, depending on the exposure. And many times they need to be um, put on a nebulizer. I mean, we're talking a, a lot of input to how you handle that horse. And a lot of people aren't thinking about those kind of things. Right. You know, they that, go in the that's house. I'm trying to bring it up because, you know, I know in Australia they were saying, don't work your horse for six weeks after the smoke is gone. Um, yeah. And I can't imagine how many people actually realize, you know, because they're fine, you know, they take their mask off and they think they're okay. But that horse never had it, like you said, never had a mask on. And they were in the house, which has got filters and HEPA filters and your air conditioner and all those kind of things. And the animals don't have those kinds of things. Right. It's awful. So when I say sideways drag, I'm just going to give one example of a simple method that we use for lots of the things that we do, Wendy, and this is called a sideways drag. It's literally two pieces of webbing. Normally we use a four inch piece of webbing and we have an animal handler that manages the head. We get some pieces of webbing around the animal's body and we're able to pull them to the side one way or another um, out of mud, out of ditches. This is one down in Florida a couple of years ago. Um, these ditches in Florida are literally cut out of the coquina rock. If you drag a horse over the edge, you're going you're gonna to slice him in pieces. So they're using that rescue glide there to minimize the damage to the horse. Sideways drag. Here's another one in Australia. Some of my friends actually responded to this one. And the horse, you know, she's galloping across the mud until she found a soft place and the horse just went down. 
So they're using a sideways drag. They actually had to pull this one about 80 feet to get it to a place where the horse could stand up. Can so, you go back to the last one for a second? Because I just want to point sure. something out. Yeah. How many people it takes to actually pull a horse out? Yes. Yes. That uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So 20 people on the drags minimum exactly. with another and four or five people. That's the other reason for calling the fire department because they bring a lot of people. Um, and they, yes, they have resources. And has it been done with a piece of heavy equipment or a tractor? Yes. But is that the best way to do it? No. For two reasons. Number one, you don't have any control of mechanical equipment and it just keeps pulling no matter what. So if something gets hung or caught, then you have problems. Number two, you can't let it go. I don't know if you saw the viral video recently from uh, France, but there was a horse that was pulled out of a canal and they picked it up with a forklift and the horse, when it touched the ground, lost its mind and pulled the forklift over. It's very, very fortunate they didn't kill anybody. Um, but it could have oh, been. I did really not see. I try not to watch that stuff. Okay. I know. That's the kind of stuff I, I do too, but I have to watch it because I have to, I, I, I try to learn from it and get people to sure. understand. And I really so love I, this picture because these guys have got training and they have a animal handler. They're using a blindfold on the down horse to try to protect his downside eye, keep him a little calmer. They did a really nice job. I have two more questions for you. Well, at least okay. one, um, the glide, is that something, um, that, that is a piece of technical large animal emergency rescue equipment that um, is actually been promulgated all over the globe. So there's three manufacturers that make those now. Believe it or not, the fire departments often use them for transporting people. So if you have a bariatric patient that doesn't fit on your normal size sked, they will use this to move a bariatric patient. Uh, we use it for edge protection. We use it for just like this. Um, we use it for transporting down horses and trailers. So um, is it some a of the ambulance of equipment at most fire departments? Uh, no. So if they do large animal rescue, this is one of the first things that they buy because they realize the usefulness of it. Many so if somebody wanted to support clothes. their fire department and they had horses, if they went out and bought a large animal slide like this, that would be one of the best things they could do for their fire department. Yep. Are they expensive? Teach, teach them how to use it. Uh, the entire kit, there's two pieces. Uh, the entire kit is somewhere around $2,000. It's got everything associated with it. So you can strap the horse down to the glide and transport him down in a trailer. Uh, many times that's the, the horse person's problem. The horse is down in a pasture. You can't get him in the trailer to get him to the veterinarian. And, uh, Thus, you end up having to make a tough decision and euthanize. So Christmas is coming and end of your donations. If anybody out there is thinking about what to do for a donation, giving their fire department one of these would be a really good idea. Yes, it would. Okay. And my second yes, question would. is, when you take a horse out of a ditch like this using the straps, do you have to worry about any internal organ damage? Nope. You can put lots of pressure on that um, area of the abdomen. We actually lift horses by using a sling like this. We've lifted pregnant animals, cattle, horses, those kind of things. You're, you're picking it up. You've spread the surface area. You're picking it up, moving it over, and setting it down for a very short period of time. Now, if you had a horse that you were going to hang because he had a broken leg, you're going to use a whole different sling. You right. don't use these kinds of webbing. But for short things like this, we have, uh, I have two wonderful horses that I use as my demonstrators. They've been picked up off the ground hundreds of times using slings in this exact manner and I ride them regularly. Okay. 
Do you, do you like do something nice for them after every training? Treats. They'll do anything for treats. Okay, good. <laughs> anything. It's true. Okay, so let's get down to a little bit about disaster in your community. How do you handle these things in your commu community? Uh, these are just some random pictures from some of the, the evacuations um, from wildfires. And as you can see, doesn't look really, really organized. The ones on the upper right, the goat and the horse, they had to be left behind because they weren't able to evacuate. And so these guys are coming and making sure that they've got feed and water every day until the campfire was over. And of course, the campfire was horrific. It killed a lot of people. Um, it lasted forever. Uh, the Lincoln City fire, that was just a, couple, a month or so ago. And those folks were trying to get their horses out. And, you know, uh, how do you do that if you, it's called simple math. If you have a two-horse trailer and three horses, you pick which two go. And that's, that's a sobering kind of thing for people. You know, they're Rebecca. Rebecca, you're such a butthead. You say those kind of things like it's so easy. It's not easy, but you need to think now. Is it the horse you've had for 25 years and you just love him? Or is it your new young horse that you're gonna make a performance horse? Or who do you choose? And many times you can't get back. So how do you do that? Do you buy so another horse trailer? A, if there's a known fire, say in California, in your area, uh, um, what I'm trying to say is, okay, you've got three horses at a two horse trailer. You could always move one out first. Exactly. So early enough ahead of time. It has to be early enough. And that's easy to say, except that sometimes, um, I'll show you a picture in a minute. Sometimes you don't have time. And that's really what it comes down to is you really have to have an excellent plan, not just a plan. You have to have an excellent plan. Yep. This is not a good plan. <laughs> I can't imagine doing that, Wendy. I cannot imagine. My horses, they will load. When I point at a trailer, they, they go in trailers because they're like dogs. I get in the trailer and they go in because they're always, they're, they're always thinking there's something in there for them. But I cannot imagine trying to load a horse in three feet of water. I mean, this is, this is crazy. So these guys are doing the best they can to try to, to get these horses out. But somebody should have had an idea that there was a flood coming and gotten these horses out. So have a better plan. That Take a look happen around. in a minute. That's, That's right. <laughs> and it comes down to a lot of people, they, I, they, they say it'll never happen to me. They move to a new area. They don't know what the hazards are. Go to your county and start asking questions. Hey, where's the flood zones in my county? They have maps. The USGS has mapped all that stuff. Ask your local fire department, hey, is there a wildfire risk here? And what are, is on the wildfire maps? There's many places where they'll tell you, oh yeah, that part of the county, we ain't gonna save it. This part of the county, we could save that. And, and you gotta ask, it's just the way it is. They know that if it's really steep and it's a, a, a single road into a canyon, that the chances of you getting out aren't real good. Right. Um, I was driving in Oregon last year with Kate Beersley out there and we're driving along and. And I'm used to seeing hurricane evacuation signs everywhere on the East Coast, you know? And all of a sudden, I, I'm like, whoa, wait, stop the freaking car. What is that? She's like, oh, it's a tsunami zone. What? Who has a tsunami? So I made her back up and get a picture of the tsunami evacuation zone. I'd never even thought about it. But here I am in Oregon on the other side of the world. And, and I had no idea that it was even a, a thing. So find out what the hazards are to you from natural disasters. Um, if you live next to a nuclear plant or whatever, you know, find out what those hazards are and how they could possibly affect you. That's really comes down to preparation. And this one is one of my things that I harp on all the time, Wendy. Um, it's an awful picture. It's pretty obvious that horse is severely burned, but letting them go is not a plan. And people say, well, I didn't have time. And I go, you did have time. You, if you live in that kind of an area, 
you need to be every 30 seconds on whatever you got to be on radio apps uh calling the fire department talking to your emergency manager for your county whatever you got to do and you need to know what the plan is and then you got to think what's going to happen when all those people with cars leave because you've seen those videos right from oregon and california and there's you know backed up traffic for two hours trying to get out of some little community if you're sitting there with your horses on the trailer you're waiting too late so you got to think i'm going to take them to another state another county is that going to cost you some money is it going to be a pain in the butt is it going to keep you from working of course it is but that's got to be part of your plan you know i talk to what i'm trying to tell you guys is i talk to people all the time that have lost their animals in these things and it's horrific because they understand that somehow whether they admit it or not to themselves that they are part of the reason why that animal died and it's awful you know we don't want that to happen to you guys take it seriously come up with a plan that is not a plan letting them go and taking care of themselves those horses have never been out in a community running between horse trailer i mean between fire trucks and you know other people's fences and they get chased by other horses and they can't find anything to eat and drink it's just awful have a plan evacuate them early this is what i was talking about so these folks they had a fire, it had been burning for a long time, and never did they think it was going to have a problem. Suddenly the wind changed, they had two hours notice. Somehow the Canadians managed to get 88,000 people out in two hours, and they didn't lose a single person. And Wow, that's yeah, amazing. That that's so you know, how, you know how you can do that? No. Canadians are very nice. I don't think that would happen here. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just teasing, but you know, the thing is, what you gotta have, if you're actually gonna have a plan and you start looking at it, go to Australia, you've been there, so you know, yeah. they take it really seriously. When it's catastrophic fire season in Australia, they have the truck hitched to the trailer. They have fuel, they have extra fuel in the trailer. They've trained their horses to load. They are serious about this stuff. It's already pointed down the driveway and they're ready to go. They know which way the fire's coming. They've got all these apps. Um, something like, something like 60,000 people on the east coast of Australia are volunteer firefighters for wildfires they've all been trained they have their own gear they have you know tools and all this stuff i mean they're serious about fire because fire there is, well, it, it's, is yes and people like when i was there because i was in sydney when these before i went over to back to new zealand and they did they have a plan they have their trailers hooked they know where they can go they've already made the arrangements it's just a question of when do you actually pull out of the driveway and, and, and especially, Wendy, if you have any frustration, okay? If you've got kids, do they always do what you want them to do? No, okay? They're looking for their whoopee or something while you're trying to load the car. You know, dumb things that kids, grandma, and dogs do. And trying to catch the cats at the last minute, I promise you, what do they do? They're like, uh-oh, she's taking us to the vet, right? So, you know, those kind of things got to really be coordinated ahead of time. That's just one example. There's a lot of information in the handout that I sent you about coming up with wildfire, uh, other preparedness plans, all hazard plans. But uh, this is just one example of how serious you need to take it. So what's the problem? It really comes down to us. As human beings, um, if we are that distressed, upset, pissed off, yelling at people, owner, it does us no good. Your horse is sitting there going, please, mom, could you just chill out for a minute? I know you love me, but you don't have to make it frustrating for the firefighters. Then firefighters come along or the or law enforcement and they're like, uh, I don't know how to put a halter on a horse. And then you have the veterinarian show up and the veterinarian's trying to help, but the veterinarian thinks, hey, I'm supposed to be in charge. And the fire department's like, you ain't in charge. That's our scene. So there's a lot of 
uh, frustrations. And so we try to, in trainings, we try to get people to understand the other aspects of this and how we could better work together as a team. Really comes down to human factors. Over the years, we've had a lot of successes in large animal rescue. The blue and the uh, burgundy head protectors, those are the new ones that Dr. Becker makes. Um, those of you that have large facilities with horses and you occasionally have down facilities or if you have a rescue, you need to have yourself a head protector because it prevents those eye damage to down horses. It allows you to protect that head. Um, the one that's yellow, that's the old one. It's a pain in the butt. You can't pick the head up. Yes, it protects the head technically, but it doesn't fit all the si sizes of heads. So Dr. Becker has come up with these head protectors and they work great for down horses, injured horses that we're trying to protect in these kinds of situations. And if you've never seen a horse hit its head, I worked at uh, a vet clinic in Kentucky when I was in grad school and this horse had hit, it's the, it's so horrific because it swells and it's, it's so vulnerable. There's so many bony bits, right? It's really, um, you don't want to see that. Bony bits and eyes. And that's, that's where we get ourselves in trouble. I really like these because they're adjustable and they have handles on the side. So you can actually pick the head up even if the horse is down. And like we said, it's already heavy. Um, some of the other things we've come up, I'm getting ready to give a presentation for AAP, the American Association of Equine Practitioners in December, um, about how we treat recumbent horses instead of doing the old thing we were taught, Wendy, get down on your knees and hold the horse's head down. Okay, I'm six foot two and I'm over 200 pounds and I can't hold the horse down. So most of my girlfriends that are veterinarians that are skinny, a lot skinnier than me and smaller than me, I, they're never going to hold a horse down. So what we found over the years is this is a much better method of holding that horse down by putting your foot into the neck, being able to tip the horse's head up a little bit. It limits his ability to get up and it also protects you. And of course, you notice people have helmets on when they're doing these kinds of things. Okay, so let's take a look at one other response plan. This was great. Okay, this made it, this was a huge success. And the reason it was a success is nothing got hurt. Kids didn't get hurt. People didn't get hurt. Uh, fire department members didn't get hurt, horses didn't get hurt, and I don't know how. 24 horses got out and go running down the ramp going towards the interstate in Atlanta, Georgia. And they called 911. 911 knew that the facility was there. They showed up. They stopped the traffic. Um, they were able to get these people. And if you look at that guy real close, it looks like he's in his PJs and flip-flops, doesn't it? Yeah. The reason he is is because he said he was pouring the cereal for his kid to take him to school when somebody posts on Facebook this video and his kid goes, hey dad, those are our horses. <gasps> so they just jumped in the car and they went out to the interstate and him and his kids are out there catching horses on the side of the interstate. Oh my God. Anyway, everybody figured it out and then they caught all the horses and they're leading them all back. Nobody got hurt. But you can imagine how many of us have our horses. It's happened to me. I've had my horses get out. Somebody leaves the gate open and there they are, right? So what is our plan? You know, I've got five horses. What do you do with 24? You know, just getting enough people to lead 24 horses down the side of the interstate, which is the most terrifying place in the world to lead horses, yes. is difficult. So come up with a plan. Who does it? You know, who's going to get the buckets? Who's going to communicate with the neighbors? Who's going to call 911? Because you can't do it all at once. And depending on the size of your facility and how close you are, if you're on a rural road, maybe it's not such a big deal. But if you're on a four lane, it's a big deal. So um, anyway, thought that was a good one. So one other thing I want to talk about real quick is fire. Uh, that's the thing that affects a lot of horses. It affects a lot of people. Um, I call it the biggest lies that we tell each other in the horse industry. 
just haul, just put a halter and lead rope outside your horse's stall, honey. And when the fire department gets there, they'll put a halter on your horse and lead it out. That is bull crap. They are not going to do it. That is not how the fire service works. That is not what's going to happen. So this horse is Ariel. That's my horse. And every single barn she goes into burns down because we use fake smoke and we smoke up the barn. We close the doors. We make it dark. And then we take firefighters in there and look at how they actually respond to these kinds of things. And it turns out that it takes a lot longer for them to get there to do the kinds of things that they need to do for human safety. They're not going to let you run back and forth into the barn to get these horses. So we got to have a better idea. The biggest thing is, oh, wait, I was going to talk about why do we have them in stalls in the first place? Anyway, you guys need to take a real hard look at why you have horses in stalls. Pretty obvious they spend a lot of time trying to get out of them so they don't want to be there. Anyway, that's a whole other discussion about behavior and welfare. But anyway, um, you know, how do we handle these kind of things? If you look at the fire service and how the fire service handles these kinds of things, they'll tell you that there's ways to build barns that really limit fires. You limit the amount of combustibles. Well, that's sort of tough to do because hay, straw, wood, rubber mats, all that stuff burns. That's all combustibles. Uh, limit your ventilation. Well, we spend a lot of time trying to make sure we got maximum. In fact, most people don't have a good enough ventilation in their barns already. So those are the things that make fire. So can we compartmentalize? Can we look at our overhead structure and think about how could we make that safer? Really comes down to outside doors to every single stall. That's the, that's the party line. That is the best way to try to get horses out of a burning barn. Um, if you talk to the fire service, they'll tell you that when they look at these statistically, you've got five minutes to get all your animals out of the barn. There's going to be injury either to their lungs or physically to their skin um, if it burns longer than five minutes. And most barns uh, are actually fully involved and there's nothing survivable in that space in 15 minutes. Now, if you actually time how long it takes you to get in the truck, and go to your barn if you don't live there, or get in your, you know, put some clothes on, put your shoes on, and run to the barn if you live with your barn on the same property. If you start doing that, you start realizing how much time you're losing while you're calling 911 and putting your shoes on and running out to the barn and trying to figure out what you're going to do. It really comes down to having a pre plan. And I'm going to show you how this kinds of thing work. This just is one barn that burned, it's just one example. I did some guesstimates on how far it is down the barn aisle to get to the paddock. And then I took some simple math. I said, okay, we got one person, there's 18 horses. So let's start down here. We'll catch one horse. We'll open the door. It takes us about 20 seconds to put a halter on a scared horse. We lead him down the barn aisle. We take him out to the paddock. It takes about 20 seconds to do those things. <clears throat> I don't know if I could run that fast now, but anyway, um, you get to the paddock. You got to put him in the paddock. What happens if the gate doesn't get closed behind him? He's going to be right back in the barn. So you got to close the paddock gate. And of course that, then you got to run back to the next stall. So we started looking at how long does this take, this process? And it comes down to, if you got 18 horses, it's going to take one person 36 minutes. And sadly, this one had 18 horses and there was five people in the barn and they did not save a single one, not a single horse. Why? They didn't have a plan. They didn't know what to do. They didn't speak the same language. They were running around trying to call 911. They were terrified. The horses were terrified. And this picture on the left is four minutes after they called 911. At that point, there probably wasn't anything alive inside that barn anyway. And the picture on the right is two minutes later. 
Now, that is a very sobering thing. That is moving really fast. Because well, and, and when I look at that barn from overhead from the previous picture, I look at, this looks like a well-maintained barn. It looks like it's got a solid roof. You know, it's, it's not what I think of as a barn that's about to burn down. And honestly, Wendy, I'm glad you said that because I go to barns literally all over the world and I get what I call the pinky finger tour where somebody, usually with a funky accent, says, I want to show you so-and-so by so-and-so and out of so-and-so and they're worth a million dollars. And I look around the barn and I'm like, hmm, well, this is really nice, but uh, I wouldn't put my little $500 redneck horses in here. And they're like, what? This is, we have Olympic stallions and we have all these things. And I'm like, okay. If you get a fire started in here, it's going to burn to the ground and there's nothing you can do about it. And they look at me like I got three heads. And then when I start telling them why, they start going, oh, now they take it a little more seriously. So as you start realizing how the fire department works, um, most of these fire departments in your rural areas and most horse barns are in rural areas, it takes you five to seven minutes for the fire department to get there. When they get there, they're not going to run into the barn. What they're going to do is they evaluate for hazards. They look around for people. They make sure that there aren't kids exposed, all those kind of things. They start evaluating the fire. They do a 360 around the barn. They're putting their gear on, which takes about two minutes. All those things, it takes time. And at some point, if they determine that they can access that area that's a life safety hazard um, safely, they'll, they'll put their gear on and they will go probably um, send a couple of folks down the interior aisle to try to put the fire out. At that point, they may have some people go in, but I'm going to show you what did we say about uh, fire departments? They don't often know how to handle things. They're trying to figure out how to get a halter off the door in the dark, in the smoke. This is a, a, a practice. We've pulled the door shut. We've smoked it up with fake Halloween smoke and they're in their normal gear and they are trying to figure out where the halters are. Then they got to figure out where the door latch is. Then they got to figure out how to put a halter on a horse and they are breathing like Darth Vader. And these horses have actually done it several times and they're like, okay, it's just a firefighter. But when we first did it with these horses, they were hitting the back of the stalls and going, what is that? Oh my God, my mama told me about this. It's terrifying. So the first time we did it, it took us 12 minutes to get, from the time they walked in the door of the barn, took us 12 minutes to get seven horses out of the barn. And the poor owner who was letting us do this practice was in tears. And she was like, I, I didn't understand how this worked. I thought it would be so much quicker. I had no idea. And she said, I looked up there and I saw the smoke rolling out of the barn and it seemed like forever. And that's the truth. And the real truth is, most of these situations, if there's any fire impingement on those overhead structure, no chief worth their brains is going to let you go down through the middle aisle of a barn. That's why we want you guys to put install doors to the outside wall. And I know there's lots of reasons why people don't do it, and they don't want to do it, and it's expensive, and it's a pain in the butt, and it's all those things. But I'll just tell you that when we have barns that have outside stall doors, anybody can halter a horse from the outside stall door. You don't have to have that respiratory protection to go do that. So when we do these things, you know, it looks cool when we actually have uh, firefighters and they actually able to catch the horse and, and lead it out. Um, those kind of things are great, but it's just not, it's just not realistic for many situations. That's all fake smoke. Those are some of our horses that are gracious enough to, to work with us to do these things. Well, you, so, you, you bring up so many points here, you know, like 
just with the pandemic, we're starting to wear masks and our horses look at us like we're three headed because we have a mask on. But I never even considered that a firefighter in full gear is Darth Vader. Like you say, it's Darth Vader and these horses are going to freak out. Um, and, and then while you're trying to stand still and put the halter on, they've got a pass alarm. So if they stand still for 30 seconds, the pass alarm starts going off and it's really loud. So th those are all, that's what I mean by, you know, horse people teach horse people and fire departments don't teach horse people about how to handle fire. And that's why we're trying to get those two things together. And that's what I do for a living is get people to, to get together. So this, this is a good example. So this lady, many years ago in Virginia, actually, um, she was working for Mrs. Mars, um, Jackie Mars, mm -hmm. and she came to my training and I, I didn't know her from Adam. She introduced herself, said she was a barn manager. Great. You know, people come all the time. They're barn managers. And then she sat through the training. She was like, oh my God, I, I've, we've got to go home and do something. We've got all these Olympic horses and our places are going to burn to the ground tomorrow. And so she went home, talked to Jackie and said, we got to do some things. We need to update some things. They were like 1980s barns anyway. They wanted to update them. So they spent about a half a million dollars and updated four barns and did a whole bunch of things to update these facilities. I mean, that's a barn. I would sleep on the floor in that thing. It's just right. gorgeous. But they did everything. They removed the crappy paint and varnish and lacquer that we put on these barns. And all those things do, unless they're fire resistant, is they increase the speed the fire flames move. They redid the electrical throughout the entire barn. They trained their employees how to do these things. They practiced these things. They put install doors to the outside. This is above her. So that's her. And above her, this is after. They put in a sprinkler system. They put rated uh, firewalls. They bring in only two days of forage now. Instead of filling that entire barn with forage, they built a separate hay barn. That was part of their money that they spent. They put everything in conduit. They redid everything. And when I went to visit, I was like, this is gorgeous. You guys have really worked on this really hard. She said, listen, it was worth every penny because it's the, the premium dropped so much, it's going to pay for itself in about five to seven years. So that was pretty cool. Um, they updated their fans. That's a, you notice the back of that fan is a housing fan. It's not 15 bucks at Walmart. It's about 150 bucks. But if you get a UL 507 or a closed housing fan, you don't have to worry about fires starting. Fans start fires all the time. Updating your electrical, updating your electrical. Wendy, I'm not a, a, an electrician, but I don't need to be an electrician to look at that and say there's something wrong. Okay? It looks like crap. Uh, there's dust in it. There's, there's, there's cartridges that have obviously blown and they just left them in there. You know, um, get that updated it's amazing how many people walk into a barn and they flick the lights on when they buy the barn and they go oh the lights work this is great and i'm like that's not an electrical inspection get it updated if it's been more than 10 years since you had your barn inspected get it inspected is it going to cost you some money yes it is but it's I, cheaper the than the barn that burned down <laughs> better than talking to somebody and holding their hand and saying i'm really sorry when they tell me how many animals they've lost so you know that was a fancy barn this is not such a fancy barn but the point is ventilation. The point is giving the animal a choice. That goes back to welfare um, and behavior of horses. The point is having that second door to be able to get from the outside or the inside. Um, this isn't fancy, but it's fantastic. It's a much better situation for the horse. Um, fire poles. When you start getting into all the options, I tell people just call a contractor and have them come give you some quotes because every single state's different in their codes. 
every single um, quote is going to be different, but you know, you can do these things. You can put in rated doors. You can put in firewalls. You can put your horses at one end of the barn and all your other stuff at the other end with a firewall in between. At least it slows it down between your tractor that starts the fire working its way to the horses. And all this, I've got tons of resources that are in that homework for you guys to read about this kind of thing, about how to build a barn that's safer and those kind of things. Really, it just comes down to this. Um, if you wanna prove it to yourself, go out to your barn, stand in front of your barn, start a timer and evacuate everything out of your barn. See how long it actually takes you with one person, two people, the three kids that are usually there. Um, all those kind of things. And it will scare you to death because as you start leaving horses, they start getting a little bit more excited. It becomes more and more difficult. So it really comes down to what we call a run out plan. And yes, that's difficult to practice because when you let out, you know, Wendy, I've got horses that have been waiting their whole life to get a hold of somebody else. You know, they're in stalls next to each other and they hate each other and they can't wait to try to kill that other horse. So I understand why people don't practice run out plans and those kind of things, but at least- what you, what, Define a run out plan for me where you can open or close a few gates and then open stall doors, either on preferably on the outside walls, but at least on the inside walls, and all the horses leave the barn. They go out to a pasture and run around like idiots and fart and snort and buck and do all their things, but at least you can close the gate at that point and deal with a barn fire. Okay, so you know the old myth is that the horse will run back into the barn. Is that a myth? It is not a myth, they will. It, they spend, uh, it, it's horrific, but a lot of horses spend 12, 18, 24 hours a day in a barn. That is their safety place. That's where their friends are. That's where they get fed. That's where, the, you know, there's no flies. And so they want to go back in the barn. They don't perceive the hazard. They've never been exposed to a barn fire before. They don't understand what the hazard is. All they know is that they're scared. And it's terrifying to, to firefighters because then horses are running through the barn and right. it, they horses have been hit by the fire truck trying to respond to the barn fire it, it's awful so there's so, some so information if you are going to have a run out plan it has to be a coordinated plan it so it has to be coordinated actually leave it the has barn. to be planned you know <laughs> and if you look at that picture that's tornado one of my horses and again he's like another barn fire i'll come to the door and stand there and get caught but most horses it's hard to catch a horse that's terrified in a stall yeah so I'm just going to show you the worst case scenario. This one happened a couple of years ago in California. A lot of people got hurt. A lot of horses got killed. Um, many injuries. They had 20 structures that burned. Uh, they lost seven of their eight barns. But I'm going to talk to you guys about why. You look at this, the firebrands uh, that came from the wildfire actually moved miles. They were, the wind blew them and they dropped into you can see all the hay that's around those horses' feet, the straw and the hay and those kind of things. And it caught these barns on fire. And if you look on, if you put in San Luis Rey fire and look on YouTube, you will see some of the, the graphic videos of the poor um, people that work in these barns trying desperately to save these horses. They were running back in their barns. Uh, they were running over people. They were running over each other. They were slamming into things. It's awful. That's the barn after the fire. And you can see all the combustibles are gone. It's a metal barn. And for whatever reason, they didn't get enough heat to bend the, the metal. Usually that's what happens is it collapses on you. Um, but the problem is, look how close those barns are to each other. There's no way that that's to code in, in any world that I live in. Um, we lose barns um, and houses on a regular basis in the fire service where the barn is 50 feet or your garage is 50 feet from the house 
and it's so hot that it causes the house to burn to the ground. So that's what happened here. Um, they lost a lot of horses. Um, it was just absolutely awful. So when we look at this and we go, where's the hydrants? There wasn't any hydrants. They hadn't worked together with a fire service. They had no ability. You cannot turn a fire truck in between those little places. I know you can get a horse trailer through there, but a fire truck turns like the Queen Mary, you know, um, really difficult to do. And they hadn't planned for the scale of this disaster. And so I tried desperately to get a hold of these folks and from the racetrack and all this thing and said, hey, let me help you guys. We need to come up with a better plan. There's got to be a better way. They built it back the exact same way. So I got to start saying, are we learning from disasters or are we just saying, eh, well, that was just a one-off. That's not a one-off. There's thousands of horses every year that burn to death in barn fires. We got to get better. We got to get smarter. And we got to start applying some of the things that we've learned from science to these kinds of situations. So last thing I'm going to talk about, mental health. I know there's probably a few people that I'm talking to that are probably thinking that I'm a hard ass. I'm not trying to be a hard ass. Um, mental health is a thing. Uh, if you've been affected by a disaster or you've been affected by a barn fire or you've lost a horse uh, in mud or ditches or whatever, it's a thing. You really need to go see uh, a mental health professional. Uh, I run into many people and I usually can't make it through this without crying because they didn't even lose a single horse in this barn fire. But Krista got a hold of me and we talked about this in depth about what happened. She lost her century barn. Um, they lost all the stuff that was in it. And she's a photographer. So she said, well, we took, she said, we took um, survivor photos. And I was like, I never thought of that. I was like, what's a survivor photo? She said, this is a survivor photo. Okay. You're this lady. And that's Cloud. His name is Cloud. Mm -hmm. And the lady that owns that horse gets a text from somebody that saw that their barn is on fire. And she says, I'm driving to the location and I don't know what's going on. And I don't know if Cloud is okay. And I didn't know that they had gotten him out. And I was so terrified what would happen. So they took these survivor photos. And I just want you guys to understand it's really important. This is not, I know this is not doing your sliding stops and your pee offs and your pissed offs and your whatevers. But I'm telling you, this is probably the most important thing you can do for your horse is teach him how to get on a trailer, how to come out of a barn fire, to be led by anybody. Those are fundamental things. It's in your homework, what you can do to make it safer for your horse. And big thanks, there's Ariel again. <laughs> Every single barn I go into burns the ground <laughs> with fake smoke. And so if you need to get a hold of me, you can always get a hold of me there. I do have a study group, um, about 14,000 people on it, um, where we talk. It's a study group, it's not a prayer group. So I tell people, I warn them ahead of time lurk for a while before you start making comments but we try to educate people about how to do these kind of things we've got a lot of resources and files and that's where I interact on a daily basis with people to try to make them smarter about how they can do things with their horses to make things better for them and at that point I'm ready for questions wow uh, I, I think everybody's uh, kind of Oh, that's great. <laughs> um, there hasn't been a single question that's come up. Oh, there's one. one just there's popped. one. Um, that they just want to say thank you uh, for sharing awesome. this information. It's awesome. And I, I, I ditto that because, you know, it's, um, we never want to have to deal with this disaster, but if you're not prepared for it, it's, it's such a trauma. And, um, and so, you know, the more people realize, have a plan, have a plan, have a plan. That's my takeaway. That's Ed Childers. I know Ed. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, Ed's one of those people that took this seriously. He's a firefighter and he has been working really hard on sharing this stuff. So I'm glad to have you on there. That's awesome. Well, and anybody watching this, you know, share it with your fire department, share it with, you know, your, your, um, you know, your police department as well, because I'm sure they get first called on these things. What do we do? We got a horse running down the highway, you know, and um, our horses got loose one day and we couldn't find them. And we were searching, they went across the road and down a driveway and somebody found them on, posted it on Facebook. And that's how we found them. And it yeah. was, you know, because a, a latch got rusty and they popped it. <laughs> You know. The other person I didn't really mention in this is the animal control um, and animal mm. welfare folks. Uh, they often get these kinds of calls, the down horse. The, people think about animal control first or animal welfare, and then they call the fire service. And, you know, it's it time thing. So the animal's in the mud. Uh, it takes some time to, for the fire department to get there. It takes time for other responders to get there. But then your veterinarian, call them early because – most of the time you're going to need a vet for all the things we talked about and obviously treating the animal afterwards, but it's not their, their fault. They're on the other side of the county. It's like Murphy's Law. They're always on the other side of the county. Um, how can we get them here? Uh, sometimes in some situations, especially the big wrecks on the interstate and stuff, they meet a, a police department person and they escort you to the scene, um, which is really important because otherwise you're going to get stuck behind the traffic. So those kind of things require a lot of coordination. Um, when you see these big things that, you know, trailer wrecks and things like that, where you have good responses, uh, I always tell people, you know, take a look at the pictures, be a little bit more critical about, you know, we all tend to say, oh, that's great. Good for you. But ask questions. Does that make sense? Did they do the right things? Is there ropes around necks and things, or did it look like they have equipment? Does people have PPE on? Um, and really in your communities, you should be asking your emergency responders, hey, do we have this kind of a team? Do we have, uh, does our, do, do our veterinarians, are they part of the team? Do they have these kind of resources? Who has these resources? Uh, we have a whole bunch of people across the country that have horse rescues, like skinny horse rescues, neglect rate, you know, uh, rescues and those kind of things. Many of them have their own teams because they know they, they don't have, it happens often enough. If you've got draft horses, they go down. Um, older horses, skinny horses, uh, they come in starving and they go down. So they know that that kind of stuff happens all the time and they just buy the equipment, come to training and they go home and, and make it happen in their local communities. So somebody's asking where you're going to find the link. This webinar will go up on the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel after it's been processed. So it takes me a little time to get it processed. It's on the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. You can grab the link and share it with anybody you want. We also have it on Facebook because I did a Facebook live. So you can also share that link to any group, organization, individual, um, I just think this is one that should go viral because I think it's so critically important. Um, a good point. Susan Levy just asked that question. She's on the TLR group and she was asking just the other day for doing some trainings and working together with some of her folks locally. They've got a team. They're working hard on trying to get, you know, in COVID, it's hard to get together and get trainings and stuff. So this is just an example of that whole coordination and working together. There's so many resources that are out there. It's hard to find good resources. So. Um, right. So yeah. if someone was involved with the fire department and they wanted this training, do they just contact you directly? They can. The best thing to do is talk to their local fire department. And, you know, really you should be talking to your local fire department, asking them about, you know, where's the fire hydrants? Uh, what's you guys response time? There's a whole laundry list of things that you really need to ask your fire departments um, just for your facility. You know, uh, if I actually had a fire or if I had, you know, what happens sometimes? 
somebody falls off a horse and breaks a leg or has a concussion and you call uh, 911, but you know, do they actually know where the facility is? Uh, one of the huge sins that we have from many people is they do not have a big reflective freaking sign that you can see from both sides with your number of your thing. In the fire service, we spend a lot of time looking for people's property. It's ridiculous. Or they give the, the address of their house, which is not next to their barn. So then the fire trucks are driving down. And it's like, oh, well, that's the house. Where's the barn? Well, there's six barns, which driveway? And that's when I say it, you're like, oh, that makes sense. But you'd be amazed how many people have a little black, beautiful um, black lettering on brown. And you can't see that thing in the, in the daytime, much less at night. And people say, well, it's on fire. Surely you'd know. You can't see it in the dark if it's behind some trees. So really difficult to do. Yeah. We, we have lots of resources and ways to get you guys to think about it a little bit different. Um, I can share a lot more of that with you, Wendy, and I'm more than willing. I'd love to do one of these on trailer wrecks one of these days. Oh, absolutely. We will have you back. Um, <laughs> because I think that is really, really important is, um, you know, again, it's something you never want to have happen to you, but if it happens, you need to be prepared. Um, exactly. And the other thing you didn't mention was uh, uh, tornadoes. Um, oh. Do you leave them in or leave them out? Yeah, well, oh. I was in um, Oklahoma when Joplin got wiped out. I was 100 miles away, and it was my first trip to Oklahoma, and I was like, I don't want to come back here. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, so one of the things that people always ask is, do you leave them in, do you leave them out? It's more important that you think about your family. Yeah. I mean, that sounds heartless, but that's really it. Um, leaving them out, if you have plenty of property, the horses will try to find a better place. But if you have a quarter acre, you probably ought to leave them in. If you think it's going to be an F4 or F5, then you probably ought to let them out because there's gonna, it, it, it's difficult calculus. Um, you know, if you grow up in Florida like I did, you have to, by code, put your thing up with hurricane clips and those kind of things. Most other places don't do it. It adds a lot to the price of the facility. But, you know, there are ways around uh, some of those building collapses that, that people don't want to pay for initially. But if you take a look at, I'm building a good facility, I want it to last 50 years, that's probably something you need to look into. All right. Well, it definitely sounds like we have some more topics to cover. Um, so we'll be in touch about bringing you back because I think the trailer one is, is really, really important. Um, well, thank you very much for having me, Wendy. Oh, it's, thank you. It's, uh, you know, really excellent presentation and eye-opening. Um, you know, I, I have been very lucky and I am going to count my blessings. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you guys for showing up. Yep. Just remember, you can find this on the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. Please share this one with your friends. I think it's really, really important public safety announcement. Um, and tomorrow, oh, I've forgotten who my guest is tomorrow. Uh, I can't keep track. Anyway, go check on my calendar. It's on the MurdochMethod.com shop. Thank you. And I'll see you all later. Bye. Thank you.